Welcome to the first episode of our new Give Me Liberty podcast, powered by the Standing for Freedom Center here at Liberty University. One of the most significant speeches ever given in American history was just weeks before the Battle of Lexington and Concord that started the Revolutionary War. This speech didn't take place in a government building, but in St. John's Episcopal Church in Richmond, Virginia. That day, delegates were convened that included future presidents George Washington and Thomas Jefferson in what was the meeting of the Second Virginia Convention. But it's important to note by the politically charged narrative of today surrounding Christian nationalism that the founders did in fact gather in a church for this meeting. The question in the mind of many of the delegates that day was whether or not a conflict between the American colonies and Great Britain was inevitable or could it be masterfully avoided by artful diplomacy and willing compliance? If the American colonies were willing to accept any tax, any law, and any policy from British government without representation and without equal protection under the law, the early Americans could have avoided war. That is, if they were willing to accept the yoke of tyranny. But the founders, by no means perfect, would not accept tyranny under any circumstances. So Patrick Henry gave one of the most rousing speeches in American history that has never been forgotten. No, never, at least not yet. His words, why do we stand here idle? What is it the gentlemen wish? What would they have? Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. As a result of this speech, the delegation passed his amendments to raise a militia independent of British authority. Soon after the Revolutionary War began, and we cannot forget as a nation the price of liberty. That is true whether you're a 16-year-old or a 65-year-old. Freedom comes at a tremendous cost. Every generation has to, had to pay that cost of freedom. I believe that right now, Americans are living on the last gasp of freedom, bought and paid for by the greatest generation that fought in World War II. Will that freedom last for the next generation? No, it won't. Unless you and I are committed to paying the sacrifice for that freedom. The American ecosystem is only as strong as its people. It is up to you and I. We cannot be naive. We cannot be blinded to the reality that is surrounding us. So this is the purpose of the Give Me Liberty podcast. We're going to be bringing cultural, political, and theological analysis, yes, from a biblical worldview, but with the fundamental principles of keeping liberty in mind. Freedom is what matters. There is no political freedom without spiritual freedom. There is no spiritual freedom without Christ and the gospel. Galatians Chapter 5, verse 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 says, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now to be clear, 
both those passages are not talking about American-style political freedom, individual autonomy, or libertarianism. It's spiritual freedom that comes by faith in Christ, trusting in his completed work at the cross of Calvary, believing in his death, burial, and resurrection. It is freedom from sin and the power of sin. This is the biblical basis for a moral and religious people free from tyranny. The entire foundation of our American experiment was dependent upon the fundamental belief that true freedom comes from God, specifically the risen Christ. So buckle up. The Give Me Liberty podcast starts now. Some of you might have noticed over the weekend, over Twitter and maybe Facebook, um, a new development in Canada, our cousins to the north. Essentially, a bill that has come out uh, is the C4, which basically is a ban on so-called conversion therapy. Now, here's the thing that's most alarming about this and something everybody needs to pay attention to. This bill passed unanimously uh, in both the Senate and the House of Commons, but it threatens pastors with up to five years of prison if they remain faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ, specifically as it pertains to human sexuality and the biblical patterns that God has set concerning marriage. Now, this is really, really important. If you were to think back as Americans, uh, back to the 1990s, um, the DOMA Act, the Defense of Marriage Act that passed uh, in Bill Clinton signed into law, passed virtually unanimously as well in both the House and Senate. And here you see a great reversal. Here it is, 2022. Now there is a ban on preaching concerning biblical sexuality. Two pastors that this article names, and by the way, this is Daily Wire, Ben Zeisloft. He has two articles on this. The, the title of this is, quote, Revival and Reformation is Needed. Canadian pastors sound off a new law that threatens to criminalize evangelism. Um, two pastors named in this article and from the outset. One is Jacob Rehum, uh, pastor of Trinity Bible Chapel. He's a friend of mine, uh, somebody I actually went to seminary with uh, years ago. And then also Tim Stevens. He's pastor of Fairview Baptist Church. Uh, both of them uh, interviewed for this article. Really, really important. Uh, and this comes uh, from Jacob Rehum. Uh, he essentially, last year, some of you have followed the headlines concerning his church, uh, he and his church incurred over $100,000 in fines for refu refusing to shut its doors in defiance of Canada's COVID-19 lockdowns. He noted that the edict will, quote, make the preaching of the gospel a criminal act, end quote. You cannot preach the gospel and only talk about Jesus without talking about the law and talking about sin and rebellion against God. There is no way to preach the gospel without also preaching the moral gospel. We have to understand the morality. You're not saved by morality, but we have to understand sin. We have to understand how we have fallen short of the glory of God. Paul names those sins. The New Testament names those sins. Jesus names those sins. All throughout Scripture, we see uh, where we defy God's moral decrees, his civil, ceremonial, and even moral law stated in the Old Testament. It's very important that you cannot talk about the gospel without preaching on sin and defining what that is. 
And homosexuality is a violation of God's commands and how God has designed us. And our own sexuality um, is, is set by God. Here's something he says, quote, The biblical gospel is a message of conversion, whereby Christ causes sinners to be born again, thus converting them from sinful propensities to godliness. Also, the bill's language is vague enough that many think it might criminalize a biblical call to forsake sodomitic, not heard it read that way, but whatever, sodomitic propensities to embrace righteousness. So, essentially, it would criminalize anyone who would name that sin. What sin? The sin of uh, sexual immorality. And that could come in any variety of ways. The sin of adultery, uh, the sin of homosexuality, the sin of transgenderism. Anything that violates what God has commanded, what God has intended in creation, anything like that that is named could be a criminal act by this new bill. So really, really important to watch and to pay close attention to. I would encourage everyone to be praying for pastors, for their boldness, for their courage uh, in Canada. Uh, one thing that uh, Tim Stevens notes, and I'll even uh, read it here, he says, quote, I will preach the whole counsel of God in season, out of season. I will continue to speak on the issues that face our culture with clarity. These cultural flashpoints are where the battle rages hottest, and it is precisely here that the faithfulness is tested. The church must be prophetic, a prophetic witness, rather than gag God and be ashamed of His truth. He also notes later that a a true witness is not concerned about the reputation in the eyes of the world, but rather our faithfulness before God. So, pray for the pastors there. I think one of the things to see in this uh, article and even see in the developments of the story is how critically important our fundamental rights are. Um, Those rights are not given by government. Uh, They are not granted by uh, elected officials. They're not granted by the courts. They are given to us by God. And they are going to continue to exercise those rights in the same spirit that uh, Peter and John gave before the Sanhedrin. We must obey God rather than men. Um, Something that happened uh, several decades ago, actually in the 1980s, when Ronald Reagan was president of the United States, Pierre Trudeau, the father of Justin Trudeau, uh, had signed into law the Constitution Act of 1982, and it reinterpreted religious freedom in Canada. And it's very important to note that it transferred the power from citizens, ordinary citizens like you and me, to ultimately the courts having the power of judicial review and could determine what rights were reasonable in the eyes of the court. Well, we all know that that is a moving target. Whatever might be uh, deemed acceptable today will be deemed unacceptable tomorrow. So by what standard? It's always a sliding metric. The goalposts are constantly being moved. Many of you have probably heard of the Overton window in terms of societal standards and what we deem acceptable. What is acceptable by society today, years from now, will not be acceptable. We need a transcendent, absolute 
moral standard. That is where the gospel rescues us from this fallibility of constantly changing. So, um, moving on, another really important headline coming out of the weekend. Elections have consequences here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Um, Glenn Youngkin, uh, along with uh, the Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears, uh, Justin Mirez, uh, who is the newly uh, uh, sworn in Attorney General, uh, all took their oath of office. Uh, within hours of uh, swearing in on day one, Youngkin made good on many of his campaign promises. Uh, again, Majority of those in the Commonwealth had voted for him over Terry McAuliffe, who lost by just 2% margin of vote uh, here in the Commonwealth. But one of the things to point out is the orders coming forth, two of them were top campaign item uh, issues. Uh, many of us will recall what happened in Loudoun County uh, at many of the parent-teacher conferences uh, and in many of the school board meetings, parents came forth outraged about the new awareness uh, concerning critical race theory and um, teachings on uh, sexuality in school. And one of the first things that uh, the newly elected governor uh, who was sworn in, Glenn Youngkin, uh, the first thing that he did was an executive order on the ban of critical race theory in public education, very similar to what Ron DeSantis and others have done uh, around the country. Um, number two, very important, uh, delivering on a similar campaign promise is to empower Virginia parents in their children's education and upbringing by allowing parents to make decisions on whether their children wear masks in schools. Now, I saw many headlines coming out of the weekend, Washington Post, New York Times, and the like, essentially saying that this was an effective ban on masks in education. Not so. Uh, there are going to be many school districts who will continue to have mask mandates in place. But the final arbiter, the final decision maker, is not a school board, uh, a school administrator, a uh, public teacher, um, a superintendent. The final decision maker will be the parent, parents themselves. And uh, in this executive order, it's really important to note reasons why uh, they came to this determination. And I think this is what is on the minds of everyone. The, the evidence has been inconclusive as to the efficacy of the masks. That's really important. And we cannot disregard that. Many of you have felt uh, misled. It's like gaslighting all over again. Um, the government has said all kinds of things and has gone back and forth. The CDC, uh, the WHO, um, the NIH, and, and, and many others on what, uh, what is appropriate in terms of slowing the spread of COVID-19. So here's something, quote, while the Center of, or for Disease Control recommends masks, its research has found no statistically significant link between mandatory masking for students and reduced transmission of COVID-19. And the CDC has acknowledged that certain masks may be ineffective due to the material from which they are made or how they are worn. So stop right there. I don't know about you, I have seen this in numerous places, 
where I've gone to publicly. I've been tra- I've traveled um, to many straits uh, across this great union of ours, and I've seen how people uh, might wear something like an N95 uh, mask, face shield. I've seen others wear something that barely covered their face, their nose was exposed, whatever. And it seems as though anything was acceptable so long as the uh, mask mandate was uh, technically um, adhered to. So regardless of how the mask was worn, what kind of material was being used, it didn't really matter so long as we upheld the mandate. That's what this is pointing out. And ultimately, it's up to the parents to decide. It says, quote, the Commonwealth recognizes in section 1-240.1 of the Code of Virginia that, quote, a parent has a fundamental right to make decisions concerning the upbringing, education, and care of the parent's child, end quote. Permitting parents to make decisions on where and when to wear masks permits the Commonwealth's parents to make the best decision for the circumstances confronting each child. That's absolutely right. Amen. Totally agree. Parents, it continues, can assess the risks and benefits facing their children, consult their medical providers, and make the best decision for their children based on the most up-to-date health information available. That is absolutely correct. And what this highlights is a fundamental worldview divide. There is an ideological divide. There is not only the political reality, but there's something behind that. And this fundamental belief that parents don't have the right to say what their children will learn in school, it's the same fundamental belief that parents don't have the right to make decisions about their child's health care and their well-being. It is all coming from this ideological perspective that children not made in the image of God, not belonging to their parents uh, in, 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 in the both natural law, common law, or even in biblical law, and understanding that uh, parents have the ultimate authority over their kids. There is an ideological gap that you're seeing right now being played out in real time. Everyone sees it. It is unmistakably clear. How long this will go, we don't know, but it's coming to blows. And so you see it right here, even in this executive order, that Youngkin is restoring uh, that fundamental uh, belief. It's not that he granted the right, but he's just acknowledging it, that children belong to their parents. Uh, it is their authority, it is their decision, it's their ultimate responsibility to decide what is best for their kids. All right, that's it for the news for today. But coming up next is the president for the Students for Life organization, Kristen Hawkins. She's going to be joining me talking about the upcoming March for Life. Be praying for that and see how you might be getting involved. Stay tuned. Some come for the crowd, the team, the community with goals to impact the world. We're here to help every student by providing a premier Christian education to more than 125,000 students around the globe. Liberty offers over 700 academic degree programs and our thriving online community allows students to be a part of our family without leaving theirs. At Liberty, our faith is central to everything we do. Speakers from all walks of life address one of the largest Christian gatherings in the nation 
igniting students with a passion for the gospel. But our passion doesn't stop there. With 20 NCAA Division I teams, the Liberty Flames light up the playing field. Off the field, opportunities for study breaks abound, from professional music and theatrical performances to hiking, biking, and exploring Liberty Mountain. As momentum builds, our mission remains the same, training champions for Christ. Hey, welcome back to the Give Me Liberty podcast. And joining me right now is the president for the Students for Life organization, Kristen Hawkins. Kristen, welcome. Thanks for having me today. Hey, well, I'm honored. And, and we're looking forward to the March for Life. Uh, this, I'm wondering, Kristen, this is, are we on the eve, mm-hmm. potentially, of a Supreme Court decision mm-hmm. that would make January 22nd a day in history where we know it's no longer about Roe versus Wade. It's about something else. Do you think that's possible this year? That's right. And actually, as we're preparing for the National Pro-Life Summit, which is the day after the march and is on the actual anniversary of January 22nd, the way I've been talking to media folks about it has been, you need to join us because this is going to be the last anniversary we ever have to commemorate of Roe versus Wade. And, and that's something that we're very excited for and that we believe is a very good uh, possibility. That's fantastic. On on the note of the Dobbs versus Jackson case, what what are some things that are potential outcomes? Just from where you where you sit for our viewers, mm-hmm. for our listeners, what are some potential outcomes of that case? It may not be a slam dunk. What do you What are okay. your thoughts there? Yeah, there's several different outcomes. I've interviewed some some legal analysts on my podcast actually about this and trying figuring out where we stand. I think, you know, one, we can take, we have hope because the court actually even heard the case in the first place is a very good thing. Um, Because for years they have just been flat out rejecting to hear these cases uh, of of any time an abortion ban would get to the court. That was pre-viability when a child can survive outside of the womb. Um, And so we do believe that this will be a a victory of some sort for the pro-life movement. They could be very narrow in, in the victory uh, or it could be very broad. And if, if I, I would encourage your listeners to actually listen to the two hour oral arguments that took place in December 1st in Dobbs. Absolutely. One, it's stunning to see how one of the most powerful women in America, Justice Sotomayor, is so ignorant about basic biology. It's unbelievable. I was like at DCA airport because I was out at the court while the hearing was happening. So I didn't actually get to hear the hearing until after. And I was like making a scene by myself watching this, listening to this happen. It was terrible. Yeah. So so you can listen to it and and one, be outraged by that. But two, it's very interesting. The arguments that the justices were making, the questions they were asking about, you know, isn't the constitution neutral on abortion? Like, why wouldn't we be neutral on the issue of abortion? Um, And so we're very, very excited um, to see how they, they rule. And they've obviously already made their decision. They made it the Friday after they can anyone can change their minds though until they release the decision right. at the end of June. Um, but but I do think we'll see. You know, we could see a reversal of Roe. We could see an upholding of the Mississippi law that bans abortions at 15 weeks and have some sort of new standard that's set, meaning that states can ban abortions when children can feel pain at 15 weeks. So there's a couple of different nuances and ways they can go about it, but. 
Um, I mean, the, uh, the other thing going back to the Dobbs hearing, like the entire argument that the pro-abortion movement has for not reversing uh, Roe versus Wade and for denying this Mississippi law from going into effect is essentially no backsies. That this has been yes. the law of the land since 1973 and no, you can't take it back. Like it's, they, right. there's no le actual legal argument being made. That's right. And we've overturned other Supreme Court cases, okay. uh, thankfully, Plessy versus Ferguson. There's, there's many other That's examples right. of this. Uh, the Dred Scott case as well. Yep. Um, I had a great banner I, we made at the, the court. It was Ash Heap of History and it was Dred Scott and Plessy and then it was Roe versus Wade on the top. Um, because yes. it, it can be done and it should be done. Absolutely. The civil rights issue of our lifetime. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted a transition. This is something that's going to be more educational. Explain what a chemical abortion is for those who might not know, because I think that's yeah. something that uh, is very pervasive and we're hearing more and more about it. But I want to hear your take on it. Yeah, and this is something, thank you for asking me this, because there's a lot of confusion out there amongst Christians about what chemical abortion is versus what uh, morning after pill is. Uh, chemical abortion is taken with the intent to end a pregnancy, to end a human life. Uh, the morning after pill is about 11 times more powerful than the birth control pill, and it's taken 72 hours after unprotected sex. The goal of the morning after pill is to prevent the egg from being released from the ovary, so conception doesn't occur. It can, and it says on the back of the box, stop a pregnancy if an early pregnancy has taken place because it doesn't allow the new human life, the embryo, to implant into the uterine lining. So it can cause an early abortion, but that's not the original effect. That's not the intended effect. The chemical abortion pill cocktail, 100%, the effect, it, the intention is to end human life. It can be taken to 10 to 12 weeks into pregnancy, we know uh, Planned Parenthood's abortion facilities are joining later. This is a two-part, right now, it's a two-part cocktail. The first starves the child, stops the hormones from feeding the child, allowing the child to grow. And the second causes contractions, causes a mixed carriage to occur. These are very painful abortions. Women are told to sit on the toilet and to keep flushing and do not look. Um, mm. They're very dangerous. They have a much higher, four to five times higher complication rate than a chemical abortion. I mean, then a surgical abortion. And it's interesting that the abortion industry has really latched onto this because it's a way they see to, you know, they see the coming tide with Roe being reversed, states moving to ban abortions completely or heavily restrict abortions. They see this as a way to get around that because a pharmacist can ship via Amazon or whatever uh, chemical abortion pills to a girl in Mississippi, even if Mississippi makes abortion illegal. So for them, this is a way for them to get around the coming Supreme Court decision. Um, and mm -hmm. it is extremely dangerous uh, for yeah. women. And all it does is serve to line their pocketbooks because it's cheaper for them to do this. A doctor can be via webcam. Um, they, you know, the FDA just got rid of all safety regulations in December. Um, you know, just think about it. the same day the FDA in April pulled the Johnson Johnson vaccine for killing one person. The same exact day the FDA came out and said, we intend to drop all regulations on chemical abortion even though we know of over 25 women who have died in the United States, that we know of, that in the abortion reporting deaths are, it's very hard to, to come by those, those numbers. Uh, even though we know 25 women have died, even though we know that there's a four to five times higher complication. On the same exact day the FDA did this, in December, they actually uh, followed through on their threats. So now a doctor doesn't even have to see a woman. 
They don't even have to give her a blood test to confirm she's pregnant. Um, they don't have to confirm the location of where the baby is, which is actually very important to her life because if she's pregnant and she's experiencing atomic pregnancy, meaning the baby has lodged into her fallopian tube and she takes these drugs, she can die. I mean, there's, it is outrageous uh, what's going mm. on with the FDA and the Biden administration, but this is really the new frontier of the abortion battle. You know, reversing Roe and whatever the Supreme Court decides in June is literally like step one check and now we're on the step two and step three. Wow. The follow-up to that, Kristen, thank you, by the way, for, for sharing that with us. I think that's a lot, that's, it's an eye-opener for people who yes. haven't heard that before. Um, every year there's some kind of an estimate in terms of what the carnage of abortion is in this country. Does that actually fit or t fit into that tally, uh, chemical abortion? In some or places no. it is, in some places it's not. We have no okay. national abortion reporting law. Like when I'm speaking on campuses, I often use statistics from Norwegian countries, countries where abortion isn't controversial because they actually will track abortion like any other procedure. We don't do that here in America. So California, New York, so we actually do not know in some states whether or not they're tracking chemical abortion numbers. We still believe the number of abortions is 2,363 children every single day. Um, but yeah, it's it. We, we don't know. I would encourage folks, we have a docu-series we produced with um, uh, Charlotte Pence Bond and Harpy International called This yeah. Is Chemical Abortion. If you go to thisischemicalabortion.org, it's like five minute, five five minute episodes or something like that and it kind of explains with doctors what actually happens and how dangerous it is mm, fantastic thank you so much Kristen, for joining us really appreciate all your work at the students for life organization we're praying for this event we'll mm -hmm. actually be there liberty university the freedom center will actually be there marching on friday some of us uh, will actually be joining you on saturday as well so That's really awesome. appreciate your leadership absolutely god bless you Thank you. Thanks for all that you all do. Your future career will ask you to analyze, assess, implement, react, make smart decisions in a split second. With the Liberty University degree, you'll be ready because your first day on the equipment comes long before your first day on the job. Get ready to take on tomorrow today. Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Give Me Liberty podcast. Please like and subscribe our content. Larry Fink will ensure that it will help improve your social credit score. Actually, I, I can't guarantee that. The opposite usually happens. But on a serious note, in light of the fact that the March for Life is coming and of all of our conversations surrounding the pro-life movement in America, I want to leave you with this scripture. It comes from Psalms 134, verses 13 through 16. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. It is undeniable 
that life begins at conception, that a heartbeat in the unborn baby is formed as early as five weeks, along with a brain and spinal cord that is beginning to develop. By 10 weeks, babies have arms, legs, fingers, and toes. A baby can kick and a baby feels pain. Science can tell us all of those facts and more, yet the scriptures have been telling us these things for thousands of years. It's important to remember who made us and who we are made for. Nothing about you or your life is hidden from God. If a sparrow doesn't fall from the tree without God knowing, how much more concern will he have over you? Be encouraged. Be encouraged at the real possibility that Roe v. Wade could be overturned in this country. That doesn't bring an end to abortion in America, but it would be monumental in saving the lives of millions of children. Pray to that end. Until next time, God bless you.